You know, I just think when it comes to this passage, she so epitomizes that. To love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you. Again, this is a supernatural type love. This can only be done by God himself. And again, if you look at your outline, and I gave you all the points from last week as well as this, the reason being that we didn't have an outline, and I, wanted to see, I want you to see the flow. Okay? And again, it's going to start in verse 14. The first one is speak blessing to those who hurt us. Speak blessing. Notice, it's speak. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Paul starts with the, the verbiage. Can you speak blessing? By the way, in dealing with the blessing, he's also dealing with the heart. Remember what Matthew says, it's from the heart that what you say comes. Okay, so when he says speak a blessing, that's not superficial. He's saying deal with your heart attitude as it pertains to others. Are you able to speak blessings to those who hurt you? Are you able to pray for those who hurt you? Remember for me, it was a long time because I, before I could actually verbalize in a prayer the name of a certain politician that quite honestly I had come to despise. And the Lord really worked on my heart and said, well, are you able to pray for him? Well, once I was able to pray for him, see, my heart had changed at that point. Now I could deal with it. The second one is, second one is empath, empathize with others. Empathize. Empathize with others. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah had a hard time empathizing. I mean, we, we often say, well, maybe it's hard to weep with those who weep. No, sometimes it's very hard to rejoice with those who rejoice. Think about God's mercy towards the Ninevites. Jonah had preached. They had repented. They were rejoicing. This is what it says in, in chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He wasn't able to empathize with others. Now, again, we can... We can say all kinds of different things that we should be able to rejoice with those who rejoice, but many times it's, maybe it's this. Maybe this is what Paul, uh, Paul has in mind primarily. Well, what if God shows mercy to your enemy and he repents? Are you going to rejoice with him? Or are you going to say, I still want my pound of flesh? See, it is distinctively Christian to rejoice in the blessings of others, even if those people might be your previous enemies. How about number three? Seek to live impartially through humility. Be of the same mind towards one another. In other words, same, uh, think the same things towards each other. You, so you're not like, well, I'll treat them really well, but this side, mm-mm. Impartiality. God is impartial. Sometimes we become partial to those who love us, to those who treat us well, to those who are easy to love, where we don't have to sacrifice. So he says, you see the flow here? Deal with your heart. What if God was gracious? You're going to still rejoice with him? Oh, as far as your heart also, is there an impartial heart? Or are you looking at people, you know, I'll love that person because they're lovely, but I'm not going to love that person. And that's why he adds, do not set your mind on high things. Don't have a haughty mind, a proud mind. Do not be wise in your own estimation. You know, associate with the lowly. And you have to, by the way, force yourself to see this. Natural tendency, default mode for a person is to love those who are lovely, to love those who love you back. So you have to work on this. 
but seek to live impartially through humility. Humility would say, I'm going to love you, even if you're hard to love. Now he gets into from verbiage, verse 14, to repay no one evil for evil. And I think he's stepping it up now. See, he's dealt with hard attitudes. And so the fourth one is resist repaying a wrong. Resist it. Because that's what comes normal, natural. Repay an evil for an evil. But resist it. Repay repay no one like that. You know, we just have to stop and say, is there someone you would really like to repay today? (laughs) By the way, sometimes it's not someone that's right there, but, you know, as you start thinking about it, boy, I think about that person a lot in a negative. It's not maybe that you'd like to see their tires slash, but you really aren't really seeking their best. But So Paul says, wait, resist that. And then he adds, second part of verse 17, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And that word regard, or be careful, I think the New American, or the NIV, means to think it through. The idea is this, plan to do right. Again, this entire passage is talking about how do you deal with hard people, difficult people, people who hurt you, people who are irritating to you, they're vindictive, they're not flexible, all the different ways that people can be hard. I mean, he's even bringing up... But you you know that, because look at him. He says, those who persecute you. He talks about those evil in verse 18. Excuse me, uh, verse 17, like we just said. Look at uh, uh, verse 19. Don't avenge yourself. Give place to wrath. You know, and so he's talking about all the hard things. Plan to do right. Plan it. Lord, this person has been a real hard person for me to love. This person has really hurt me. This person has made it so that many times I'm not walking with you, not because of them, but because of my response to them. And so, Lord, help me to get a plan so that as I think about that person, what am I going to do that you would want me to do versus what my flesh would want? When I see that person, what am I going to say? Plan to do right. One man said this, Plan to live in such a way that no one can make an honest accusation against you. That's what you want. In other words, live in such a way that if they're going to accuse you, they have to tell a lie. You're going to do it in such a way that if they were to accuse you for something, so you plan it, you rehearse it. I think that's very practical. You have to plan it. If you just live by however you feel, you'll be doing it wrong. I think sometimes, I mean, we're going into a really nice time of year. Uh, You know, a bunch of vacations and... um, uh, family parties and family reunions. And, I mean, let's face it. I mean, there's never a conflict at a family reunion because we all think the same and we all have the same value system. So it's really like vacation. I mean, it's recreation at its best. <laughs> but you might have that person that has irritated you for the last 25 years and you don't even want to go this year, but you're just pleasing one of your parents or something like that. Plan ahead. How are you going to make this? How are you going to do it in such a way that that person doesn't get under your skin? That that you're actually a blessing to that person. That you're actually progressing in your relationship with that person. So I mean, it can even be a family reunion where the difficult person is. How about the next one? This is really new material. Be at peace if possible. Be at peace if possible. What does he say? If possible. (laughs) If it is possible. 
i.e., sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not possible to be at peace. But if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I like that. Again, the key is to do everything you can do to be at peace with everyone. But, it's, but he's just talking to you. He's not talking about the other person. Again, peace is a two-way street. You realize that? I mean, I can say, well, I want to have peace, but the other person can say, well, I don't want it. They might not say it, though. But they may make it so hard that you'll never get to it. Or they may just shut down. You know, some people shut down. And, and that's, how, that's how they're going to eliminate the possibility of peace. No, I just want to, I don't want to talk about it. Just forget it. Well, Paul is very realistic here. As far as you, as far as everything that relies on you, as far as what proceeds from you, try to have peace. Now again, we can have peace at the compromise of truth. I remember one time I was speaking to an individual, and all I would have had to say was a couple words, basically capitulating that it was my problem. It was in a kind of a counseling situation, and not theirs. Well, see, but it wasn't truthful. I could have had peace, but it would have been at the expense of truth. Around the world, we could have peace with a lot of these religions. I mean, like uh, Islam warring against Christianity, if only Christianity would capitulate and say that Allah was the true God, right? But you don't have peace. You can't have peace at the expense of truth. If you're going to compromise truth, if you're going to have to compromise, let's say, your purity... Injustice cannot be condoned. So, I mean, you got all these where sometimes peace is not possible. But in relationships, again, when it talks about peace, you know, we have to decide, are we willing to go the extent of what I have to do to create peace? You know, one of the most uh, famous illustrations of false peace was Neville Chamberlain, 1938, September. He was the Prime Minister of uh, England. He had been in um, uh, um, uh, a meeting with uh, Adolf Hitler trying to come with uh, an agreement with peace. Have you ever seen the video? It's really interesting. You know, he gets off the plane and he's waving, the, I think he's waving the paper and he's saying, peace in our time. Part of that was he had to capitulate and allow Hitler to, to um, invade part of Czechoslovakia. But what we realized is that was a, he was a poor judge of character. And though he thought, and he was a peaceful man, by the way, but Chamberlain ended up actually driving us closer and actually into the war rather than away from it. Peace at our time, see, it was false because the other person wasn't really trying to drive after peace. If at all possible, be at peace with all men. Do you have someone in your life that you just, you have wanted to have peace? In fact, it even makes you feel guilty because you don't have peace with that person. I think you need to realize, this is the question. Have you, have you sought to do what you need to do to have peace? Because you can walk with God in a, with a clear conscience if you've done everything you need to do. Sometimes we make the, the peace the goal, and that is not in this passage. The, the, the goal is whatever you have to do to make peace, you do it, okay? If at all possible, as it depends on you. But again, maybe you have done everything you can do, but there's still no peace. There's a few questions I can throw out for you. They're in the outline. Have you accepted your responsibility for your part in the breakdown of peace? 
Again, we all have issues. And so you have to ask, you know, is there something that I need to do? Number two, are you willing to make right the wrongs that you have done? Maybe it was your response. Maybe it had not, maybe the whole thing started and it had nothing to do with you, but then how you responded. Whoa. <laughs> you definitely threw wood on that fire. Number three, are you ready to forgive or have you forgiven any wrong that has been done against you? In other words, they may have tried to make it right at the beginning, but you were just so hurt and angry. Well, then that's, again, you didn't have a forgiving heart when you needed one. Number four, are you doing your part to be at peace? In other words, have you released, this? I'm getting at this, have you released the bitterness and the vengeful spirit and the anger have you even prayed for the person? I, when I taught this a couple weeks ago, it hit me. There was a person in my life. I, didn't even, I kind of forgot about it. But it's a person that every time I think of that one person, it just almost like my blood pressure <laughs> goes up. Well, I am not doing what I ought to be doing. My response is my responsibility. And the only person I can change is me. And that's what Paul's saying. Just make sure that you're where you need to be. So again, are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? Are you a peacemaker? Are the people in your life, do they see that? Or when you come walking, man, oh wow. You know, Paul said that, be of comfort in Corinthians, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. See, God is a God of peace. Think about that. In Jesus Christ, he has reconciled us. We who were enemies are now his friends and his sons and daughters. He is a peaceful God. Now, yes, he is a God of wrath as well against those who will not repent and will not turn to his son. But those who have, he, I mean, we're at peace. We've been justified because of Christ. So because God is a God of peace, we need to be people of peace. And we need to go the extra mile. By the way, we need to go the extra mile. I want to say that. I mean, it's not like this. Okay, well, you know, I know I have a problem with this person, but, you know, they haven't come to me. No, no, you reach out to them. Well, they might say something, you know, nasty before they say something that, well, reach out to them. I mean, you mean like I need to confess what I've done first? Yeah, yeah, you're the one that's spirit-filled, right? I mean, the other person may not even be a Christian. I think a lot of damage of the go- to the gospel is done because we don't want to make peace with people. And these are people who are unsaved. These are people who, who do not have the power of Christ in them. I mean, they are acting like pagans. Better not to, we better not be acting like pagans. So if at all possible, live at peace. It takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of willingness to get self out of the way because we want to protect self. So be at peace if possible. Number three, or number whatever, relinquish revenge to God. You just relinquish the revenge attitude to God. Verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourself. The word do not means like this, never. (laughs) By the way, see, by this point in this, you know, I'm thinking, okay, he started us out as saying that we're living sacrifices. Now he's really putting our feet to the fire to see if we are living sacrifices. Because now he's saying, listen, it's not just about, you know, serving your brothers and sisters. That may be hard, but are you willing to deal with the difficult person and really love them? And so he says, listen, beloved, just just release, relinquish, just 
get rid of any possibility of revenge to God. Just give it to him. So he says, never. By the way, it says of yourselves. Can I defend others? Can I fight for others? Absolutely. This is not a passive statement. What he's saying for yourself, do not avenge yourself. I praise the Lord for those who are fighting in different wars to protect American citizens. That's a very biblical concept. In fact, it's found in the next chapter, 13. But again, here it's saying, listen, but you're not, you're not out to avenge yourself because you, it's, 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 it's impossible to avenge yourself. I mean, now he's an unbiblical. But see, once you get in the picture, now all of a sudden it's, it's, it's sinful. So he says, you don't avenge yourself. If someone came in to try to hurt my family, my wife and my children, they would have to pay a severe penalty, right? Because I am called to protect my family. But here he's talking about protecting yourself. But rather give place, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. In other words, give place. Give a place to where wrath should be. The wrath needs to be in God's hands and not mine. Even if you say, well, but you just said about the army, of just protection. Yeah, but God has said it is right for a, a country to protect its citizens. He has called parents, he has called others that are over others to protect. So that's still giving place to God. But the place where wrath should be is God. And, and right here, the specific is God himself is going gonna, is gonna to deal with the injustice. Give place to God's wrath. Let him be God and you're not. In other words, when I take matters into my own hand, you know what I'm really doing and what you're doing? You're playing God. That's what you're doing. Because the place where wrath should be is in God's hand, not mine. And this is a quote from Deuteronomy 32 that says this. This is where he gets this. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Now notice what he says. Their foot, talking about the enemy, shall slip in due time. I like the time frame here. In due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand. In due time is at hand. And the things to come hasten upon them. It's coming. You know why we want to take vengeance today? Do you know why we want to get our pound of flesh today? Because we forget who God is. We lose. We stop having faith in who God is. God says, you know what? Everything's going to happen. It's not like this. This is not like bypass me. I have, it's not like I haven't seen it. I've seen the injustice. I see the injustices that happen in Africa. I see what's happening in Sudan. I see all those injustices. I see what those rulers are doing. Oh, I see the injustices that are happening in France. I see those injustices that have happened in Soviet Union. Oh, now Russia. I see all these injustices. Oh, I see the injustices that are happening in America. They haven't escaped me. Ah, no, no, we need to have it now because that's the lack of faith. We're walking by sight. Relinquish revenge to him. One day God will balance the books. Do you believe that? You know, we look at our time as so long. Oh, it's been 10, 15, 20 years. Just think about all the injustices that have happened. And many of those people, some of them have returned to, I mean, uh, turned to the Lord. Many or most have not. And they are in, uh, in Hades right now, waiting for hell. Hell is the final judgment. No, I mean, Hitler got what he deserved. I wouldn't, I'm not saying that he's in hell, I'm assuming, unless something happened at the very last split second. But it's not just about Hitler, it's about any person. Can you imagine any person wishing hell on someone? 
eternal, forever lake of fire, torment forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's why Paul says, you know, bless those who, you know, persecute you. Can you how can you ever say, God damn you? How could you ever say that? Paul would say, how could you ever say that? Do you, do you understand the severity of what you just said? But here Paul says, listen, but there is wrath. I mean, we are a, you know, the whole thing, God is wrath is hard. We like to hear God is love. But the reality is God is going to damn. God is going to, and he keeps the books. Nahum says this, God is jealous and the Lord avenges, the Lord avenges and is furious. I can't imagine the day when the fury of God is going to be poured out on this earth. The day when the great white throne and the fury of God is going to be poured out on those people who have never received Christ. Can you imagine that day? Does that just kind of like sadden you to know those who are going to spend eternity under torment forever? The Lord, Nahum 1-2, going back there, the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. So why should I take, why should I get angry? Why should I have, why should I put my wrath to those? God says, no, give place to wrath. It's, it's my job to judge, not yours. See, we like to retaliate. But again, when we act in judgment towards others, we are usurping God, his rightful role, because he's God, I'm not. And you're not either. But the question is, are you playing God? Are you playing God? If that person that really has hurt you would repent and walk with God, would that just make you so joyful? Oh, thank you, Lord. Or would you say, man, you've put me through hell for the last six years. Hey, these are a few truths you want to remember. God alone can judge fairly. Why? Because he knows the variables. He's he's the only one that can truly judge fairly. Galatians 6 says, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Number two, no one is going to get away with anything. In Colossians 3, verse 6, it says this, Because of these things, and he had just named a lot of different sins, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, all the sins, just this uh, ugly list of sins. But he said this, Because of these things, these sins, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Not talking about Christians there, he's talking about the unsaved, sons of disobedience. But he uses the word wrath, the word is orge, and that word means slow burn. It's a slow burn. In other words, God is patient, God is forbearing, the wrath is there, the judgment is there, pray that they will not have to go through that judgment, but it is there and it is coming. Finally, not only are we not going to get away with anything, the God of judgment is also the God of mercy. Because in Colossians 3, verse 7, just the next verse, look at this. So he says, listen, the wrath is coming on the sons of disobedience, verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. There was a point in time that my lovely, gracious wife was under the wrath of God. And once you, what you once walked, and yet the Lord has graciously saved her. Same thing for myself. Same thing for any of you who have received Christ. The wrath of God for you who are believers was poured out on Christ. Therefore, you don't have to endure the wrath because your sins were paid for on the cross. The God of judgment is also the God of mercy and he rescues some. 
Not all, but some. In what you once walked, you were like that. You were children. You were heading for wrath. Now think about this. If we can get that in our mind, how that affects my relationship with others. That really difficult, hurtful person. Man, I've been given mercy and grace. <laughs> oh, how could I ever want to strike out? Because I was in that position of God's wrath being poured out on me. But he rescued me because Jesus Christ died for my sins. See, that's what Jonah missed. Getting back to Jonah. He had forgotten his experience with God, his walk with the Lord. He didn't deserve mercy and grace. God gave it to him, called him to be a prophet, go to the Ninevites. You know why he was angry? He had forgotten that. He had forgotten the path from which where he had come. We need to remember. They're not really our enemies. They're God's enemies. Well, yeah, because I'm on God's side, mine. But you know what? I can't treat them like that. I need to love those. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, I say to you not to love your neighbors and hate your enemies. He said, I say, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. But the next part is interesting, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What he's saying is, listen, if you're really a son and daughter of the God who is in heaven, the God who is merciful, who has been merciful to you, then it should be very evident in the way you deal with people. Since he has given you mercy, you give them mercy. Act like your father. Your father's been very merciful. You know, David was like that. Think of David. He had opportunity to kill Saul. Remember that in the Old Testament? And he chose not to. And this is what David said in 1 Samuel 24. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to take vengeance on that sinful king. He said to his men when he had the opportunity to kill Saul, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Do you see what he... No, he's the Lord. He, the Lord's going to take care of him. To stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. He said it twice. He's anointed by God. I'm not going to... Actually, it changed the heart of Saul for just a short time. Saul actually said this of David's, you know, after he found out that he could have killed him, Saul looks at himself and he said this, when a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? Saul was like, that doesn't happen. You find your enemy, you kill him. That's a natural response. But you let me get away. Why? Because you serve a different God. That had to be the, what an evangelistic thrust. In fact, next week we're going to be looking at Daniel. Looking at Daniel 6. And you know what's interesting with Daniel? His godly example in chapter 4, I believe, led Nebuchadnezzar, that wicked king, to the Lord. Chapter 6, Cyrus or Darius also, I believe, was led to the Lord. Why? Because Daniel stood up against evil and did it in a biblical way. He was a man of grace. He was a man of mercy. And because of that, these wicked, wicked kings turned to David's king. Oh, excuse me, to Daniel's king. See... Daniel wasn't following that king. He was following that king. And I think that's why also, look at, in in Romans, he says, Beloved, beloved, do not avenge yourself. Beloved, loved ones. That's what he's, loved ones. Remember, you're the loved ones. So stop playing God. Because every time we play God, we're living in the past. We're living where that sin, that hurt came from. And really, it makes us a prisoner. It controls our life. Don't, in other words, that becomes actually our God in itself. 
If you're controlled by bitterness and anger, what did I just say? You're controlled. <laughs> you're in that prison. It's the prison of your own making. It controls your life. Release it. You want freedom? We talk about freedom in America. Be free in the Lord and say, Lord, it's yours. It might have hit you so deep it felt like a literal knife cutting into your soul. Lord, it's yours. One, I was a child of wrath and you rescued me. Two, I'm loved. I don't want to play God. You're God. And I, I, and I, and I know for sure that you will take care of it. Nothing, he's all omniscient. Nothing escapes his view. Pray for that person that they would repent. Another one, two more. Do good to those who do you wrong. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Oh, I like that one. Coals of fire. Fire means burning. Burning means, like, well, what is he talking about? Hell there? Actually, I believe that that phrase, heap coals of fire on his head, refers to an ancient Egyptian custom. Quote, when a person wanted to demonstrate public remorse or sorrow, he would carry on his head a pan of burning coals to represent the burning pain of his shame and guilt. In other words, it was a sign of repentance. So what is he saying? Listen, you're going to heap coals on his head. No, no, it's not to kill and destroy him. It's to drive him to repentance. You kill him with love. and You destroy him with love, right? You, you love and you show the other side. You ever get into a discussion with maybe even your spouse or some maybe family member and you start out and it's pretty civil and you start talking and you add a little piece of the fire and then they add a little piece of the fire and then they, and before long at the end of a half hour, 45 minutes, you're screaming at each other and you're like, you know, where did this come from? I thought we were just going to have a good, because you were going down in like path. You were adding fire to the same path. Stoke in the fire, we call it. No, no. Here, we change direction. Oh, your enemy is hungry, you feed him. By the way, this is actually taken from Exodus 23. It talks about animals. Like if you see the animal in the ditch, or like uh, you know, your enemy's animal is straying or in a ditch where he can't get out, you would get it out and bring it back to your enemy. Why do I bring that up? Exodus 23. Because even in the Old Testament, you see grace and mercy that God says to the Israelites, you must do. It's not just a New Testament concept. But as you do these good things for that person who hurts you, as you truly show the, the person that you are a Christ follower, countercultural, what are you doing? You're heaping like, oh, I would like to blast him. And if he blasted me back, I would feel good. But when I hurt him and he does good to me, what is it? actually that brings conviction? Because that means you're acting in a different way than him. Go in a different pattern from the direction he's going. Now again, let's not be naive. Sometimes you can be very gracious to a very mean, hurtful person and nothing changes. And in fact, they just look at you like you're weird. But, but let's make sure we understand. As we exhibit God's mercy and grace, there are other things playing out. I think of myself sometimes when I've responded rightly and wrongly. If I respond right, there's other watchers. There's other people that are viewing my actions. This may have, maybe the biggest effect it might have is on my children or my wife or someone else that's watching. 
For sure it's going to have a huge impact on me. Because if I can do good to those who hurt me, that means my heart has been changed. Bitterness has been released. Anger and frustration. So again, the change may not be to the person that's your enemy. It might be those who are looking on or you yourself. And finally, be victorious over evil. Again, we started with living sacrifice. Now we're ending with do good. Or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Be victorious. That word overcome. Overcome. He uses it twice. In fact, it's the same word as over in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where he talks about, talks to the churches and he says, be an overcomer. I.e., this is the idea. True believers are known as overcomers. That's what a true believer is known. So I think it's interesting he uses that word here, the same exact word. Be a conqueror. Don't be conquered by evil. Conquer evil with good. It's the old, you know, the put off, put on. He's been talking about it. I mean, in verse 18, excuse me, verse 19, don't avenge yourself. That's a put off. But verse 20, 20 uh, put on. Now he's saying it again. Don't be overcome, but overcome evil with good. The only thing that can overcome evil is good. So first of all, there's two imperatives. First, don't be overcome by evil. This is literally what it means. Stop being overcome. Apparently they were. You've got to remember, this is Rome. Romans. Who was in Rome at this time? The? Who? Who was the ruler? Caesar. What was, what was Caesar doing and going to do over the next few hundred years? Persecute. Huge. They were at this time even the, the beginnings of it. Remember, when it came to Caesar, they didn't care if you worshipped other gods. But one thing you had to do every year, when you passed by the altar, you had to have a pinch of incense and throw it on, uh, on the altar towards, uh, for Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. You didn't do that. You became an enemy of the state. You became an enemy to God himself because they considered Caesar to be God. So when Paul says, stop being overcome, I, apparently they were. Persecution had begun. Things had begun in their life. Now stop it. But not only that, it's not only what other people do, but many times we're overcome by not the people, but our response to the people. See, there's a double part here. It's not just be, not only be overcome by evil, but be, by your response. Your response could be what's evil. See, no one can make you sin, but your response. Or how are you responding? I think in America sometimes, with as much talk radio and everything else, I think we're starting to sometimes, as Christians, become less Christian and more Americanized. And if people think differently than us, they become the enemy. Bombing an abortion clinic is always wrong. Would you agree with that? How about this? How about how we look at other people that think differently than us? Hating homosexuals is wrong. Sometimes we think of them as the enemy. No, no, they're the ones that are under the wrath of God because they have not yet been rescued like we've already been rescued. How about this one? How about if you're a feminist? I mean, I hear almost like people are almost like angry against homosexuals, homo- against feminists. I think there's a growing hatred in, in America uh, of those who are the takers and not the givers to the economic system. 
I'm getting scared about that. I think we're going to start turning on each other. You're a taker and not a giver to the system. You, know, you keep hearing 50% of people don't pay any taxes. You know what could be happening in our lives? We start saying, you know what, they're the problem. They're, listen, we're all in this together, right? We're Christians who need to be bringing them to the gospel, but yet sometimes we have these divisions. Suddenly we can start hating people that think differently than us. We can even become angry and vengeful towards those of a different political party. I've even had people say, how could, they, how could a Christian ever vote? So again, who is that person that is irritating and hurting you? Spouse, child, family. But he says what? But overcome evil with good. That's an imperative. Conquer. So again, by the way, do you know how God grows us in these areas? You know how God uh, helps us to grow in the area of the... He gives us somebody in your life to, to test you. Just like Corey Ten Boom, there's that guard coming towards me. Lord, I need your supernatural grace. I cannot do... Oh, and he also gave me his love towards him. So who's that person in your life? Who is that person? I pray that you have enough insight in your own life to be able to identify who these people are. Let me give you a few action steps as we move towards communion. First of all, ask some questions. Question one is this. Will you decide today to be overcome by evil or overcome evil by good, by doing good? I mean, I think that's a decision. I think that's a commitment. I mean... If This is what hit me. If I am thinking about that person consistently, there is still an issue there, and I need to get it right. My mind should be going to God. Have you, take care, have you taken care of your part of the situation? Or is there still angerness and bitterness and resentment? And if there is, we need to recognize it, confess it, repent, move on, right? I think that's where it, many times we don't see it. It's just like the subtle, it's just become patterned in our life. And number three, do you want your enemy to repent? Do you want them to be like a Ninevite? Man, I, Lord, I just want... I, it's not so much for my relationship. It's for you, Lord, for your glory. And finally, have you recognized that you yourself are unlovable? In this book, How to Love Difficult People, he writes this, Learning to love difficult people starts with understanding that you, like me, are hard to love. We forget that one sometimes. Many times we're the difficult person. Again, if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ in our life, drawing us to himself through the Spirit of God, giving us understanding into the Word, I mean, we were the enemies. Now we're on good standing because he's brought us into his, his family. He goes on and says this, If deep down you know that you are unlovable and God's acceptance of you is completely undeserved, then you will have a welcoming attitude towards unlovable people. But if you believe you're basically a decent person, who anyone would be privileged to know, then you won't welcome others until they get their act together and become decent just like you. Now, I'm unlovable. These are some questions. Do I really believe that I'm unlovable? Oh, now all of a sudden I can start loving that person that literally has been an irritation to me for 20 years. 
I can remember, I can tell you exactly the first, when it really kicked. Like when that was the line that was drawn in the sand, that was the situation. And it's been actually in my life, I've taken care of it now, I'm saying, but up to just recently, before I started, I didn't realize it was there. It was so subtle, I just didn't even, every time I thought about that person, it was like, Number two, take a step this week to do something good towards that person. It might be prayer. It might be communicating to them an encouraging word. It might even be telling them, do you know that I've had a real issue? Can we get this resolved? In other words, you're taking a step because you believe that people are very important to God and you want to see relationships built. So you're taking a step. Or maybe the step is simply this. As the Bible says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. And you may literally say, you know what, it's not that I'm fearful of of communicating to this person, but really I've made a bigger deal out of it than it even was. Since I've been forgiven a multitude of sins... I'm just going to drop it biblically. Biblically, you can drop it. Just cover it and say, you know what, Lord? It's not that I'm fearful. My relationship to that person is actually intact because they don't even know they hurt me. But it's, it's dropped as of right now because you've been merciful to me. And then finally, number three, focus on God's sovereignty. Remember Joseph and his brothers? This is what he said to his brothers after that whole ordeal. He said, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God can even take a very hurtful situation and mold it and make it so that you grew through it, right? Because you were able to see his grace and his power through your life. So take comfort in that. That no matter what it is, and maybe the person is long gone, maybe the person that controls you has been dead for 10 years. Just release it. Lord, you were sovereign. I don't understand. You're fair. You're just. You deal with it or have dealt with it. Where are you at? I trust that as we go to the table that, uh, that you're able to say, yes, indeed, I am not overcome by evil, but I'm overcoming evil with good.